You guys all happy? Some of you need to let your faces know. Did you ever hear that one? That's okay. All right. What makes you happy? Besides lemon squares and vacations, do you know what else makes me happy? I have a list. Can I share it with you? Sausage links with slightly undercooked scrambled eggs, ever so slightly, with buttered toast. And my wife makes um, uh, homemade strawberry jelly and, and puts it in the freezer. You know, she does the jars ahead of time. Mm, tasty. And just to stay in the sausage family, sausage gravy, it's the worst food probably for you ever. Right, Mandy? But it's delicious over biscuits. There is nothing like a good biscuit. You know what I'm saying? Any, any biscuit lovers in the house? Mm. Homemade apple pie. I said this before. You can't buy good apple pie in a store. There's no such thing as store-bought. It's got to be homemade. You can store-buy blueberry pie, cherry pie, but apple pie's got to be homemade. Corn on the cob. Anybody like eat corn on the cob like a machine? Like, like people like stay at the distance because they're getting splattered by the remnants of your like typewriter. Like, um, for some reason, Dairy Queen peanut butter cup blizzards this year has taken my family by storm. We just love them for some reason. We just love um, brownies make me happy. Hot fudge brownies with underneath like a, a dollop of vanilla ice cream. Mercy. Changing of the seasons. Changing of the seasons. I love PA. It's like when I've had about enough of one season, there's another and completely different one there to take its place. Now, fall could be longer. Um, winter could be shorter. Spring could be less rainy, summer could be less humid, but I'm not complaining. Hotels make me happy. I used to be a guest service manager at a really nice one, and ever since then, I've been obsessed with them. I love the grandeur of them. I love spoiling people with over-the-top service and kindness. It fuels me. It bothers me when I don't see good customer service done in every establishment, from fast food to airports. Mini golf hole-in-ones. I think I've gotten one or two in my entire lifetime, and you can't count the easy ones. There's got to be an obstacle or some angles, right, to count a true hole-in-one. It's fun to talk about what makes us happy. It's killing some of you that you don't have a mic to share some of your own right now. It's awesome to be happy. Happy isn't evil. Happy wasn't meant to feel like a guilty pleasure, something done in the shadows. God is happy and he desires us to be happy. He says it, his closest followers say it, and the prophets proclaim and predict it. The issue isn't if he wants us to be happy, it's do we have matching definitions. And I know what many of you are thinking. You're thinking God's definition of happy isn't as good as my definition of happy. For many of us, that's been our knee-jerk reaction to God's so-called good side, hasn't it? When it comes to his goodness, or his faithfulness, or his kindness, or his love for us, or his joy, we may agree on the outside, but there's still a wonder, a check on the inside. We go to those times when he didn't answer us the way that a good and kind and loving God would have answered us. We go to those times in church when we were a kid and the angry preacher was telling us how bad we were and how God was mad at us. Never saw much joy in God on those Sundays. We go to those times in prayer when our prayers weren't answered. Bad things happened when God didn't show up. For many of us, we want to love God. We know that we should love God. But something isn't just quite lining up. 
For some of us, we've really only heard about the serious and holy God, and that seems to jive with those we know who claim to follow him because they ain't that happy. They sure do act holy, at least when they're around me. Not only do we have to fight against our history and our own personal experience, but we find ourselves submersed in a culture that doesn't talk about the things that actually make you happy. That's not what's being sold to us. It's not what most people are interested in. The only happy that seems to be available is the short-lived, overhyped, but under-delivered moments that always leave us panting for more. Well, wherever you find yourself, we're glad you're here. We've been sharing some really good news about all this, some proven, divine-given antidotes to address and deal with what you've been dealing with. We're smack in the middle of our What Makes You Happy series, and we're taking a look at what really makes us happy. And Do we know, or do we think we know, but really don't know? And one way to determine if you've been getting it right is if you keep trying to be happy, but you never really are. That's a clue that maybe you're not quite sure what makes you happy. But have no fear. That's why we're here. And that's why we're taking six weeks to talk about what makes you happy. In week one, we said that no thing makes you happy. No thing, nothing, no thing makes you happy. At least not for the long haul. Because happiness is much more about a who than a what. Because happy what always leads to happy what else, to happy what's next. We were created and designed in such a way that your ultimate fulfillment will be tied to some who's, not some wants, because happiness is relational in nature. Think about the one thing that you love to do the most. Think about it, one or two things at the very top of your list that you love to do the most. Now, think about doing that without anyone to do it with. You know, I love food, and I love miniature golf. But without some who or twos, it's going to be boring, it's going to be lonely, it's not going to be the same. So in the first week, we learned that no thing makes us happy. And last week, Pastor Joe said that sowing leads to happiness, that true happiness isn't immediate. It's something that we need to sow and reap our way into. Happiness or unhappiness is an outcome. It's the sum of where our choices, behavior, and decisions take us. And if you missed last week, you have to go online and watch it. We looked at Jesus' eight-point sermons on happiness. Eight points. And we learned and what we saw was that each of those points, each of those happy lessons actually makes us happier when we live them out and see them through. It's incredible. The road to true happiness includes a happier journey to get there. It doesn't mean that it will be easy or even pleasant. Sometimes the journey will include pain and suffering, but it will ultimately get us to where we want to be. Throughout this series, there are going to be a lot of takeaways, and hopefully you're going to learn, maybe even unlearn, a few things about what true happiness is and looks like. We hope you laugh. We hope you cry. We hope your eyes and heart are opened to a new way to be human, a new way to live life to the fullest, but ultimately... Ultimately, what we want you to see is that God didn't come to take away or get in the way or crush your happiness. He came to show you what true happiness looks like. He is the very essence of joy. He is the creator of happiness. He wrote the book on it. He wrote the book that the world has taken and plagiarized as if it was the source, the author. But it wasn't quite making enough money, and so it added chapters and twisted words to make the masses want to buy it, and they did, and we do. 
Everything through media is pushing this idea that if you get their product or eat their cheeseburger, everything's going to be okay, that you will achieve happiness. And often we buy it. We purchase this fake copy, and the short-lived happiness that we digest fools us and places us in this perpetual cycle of chasing after the wrong version. And it's not that the things we buy that are wrong. It's the lie that we believe that comes with them, that they're going to give us what they just can't give us, what only the original manufacturer of it can. In addition to believing that lie, we double down. We end up experiencing what comes with happiness while giving credit and glory to the wrong source. Think about what comes with happiness. You love roller coasters. You stood in line for over two hours for this ride, and it's finally your turn. You're buckled in, you're strapped in, and you're eerily creeping up the tracks, click, clack, click, clack, click, clack, click, click, into the sky. Your loved ones who are too smart to ride along are down below, and they're getting smaller and smaller, and the anticipation you felt in line that has peaked as you reach the peak is now turning into both fear and excitement as you drop 90 degrees downward, screaming and laughing simultaneously pour out of your soul and mouth as you descend with face deforming, eyeballs popping, goosebumps exploding, happy thoughts abounding, thrills. That lady had no thrills at all. And the next picture, I got permission, so it will not be in the doghouse. Uh, that's my wife on a ride. That's her face. She's the best. We never laugh so hard in our lives. We saw that picture. You know, you get on the roller coaster, you get to the end, and you see it. I just wanted to stay there forever. It was the best TV I've ever seen. I could have binge-watched that one image <laughs> All of that was God. His creation, his ideas, his doing. In this year alone, billions of people, billions of people will experience what God included with happy countless times, but will step off with a different designer in mind. He won't be included in the survey. He won't get the credit. God created joy. He created those emotions of feeling overwhelmed with happiness, of elation, of wonder. Even he created the, the giddiness. And the ear-piercing screams our kids make when they're erupting with joy. He created and directed the minds of those who invented trampolines, bumper cars, and dad jokes. He created fainting goats, cats and dogs that chase their tails, and baboons with their exposed bottoms. He created sense of humor and a different and unique laugh for every human being. So go ahead, look to your neighbor and share your laugh out loud with them right now. Anyone a snorter? A silent laugher? My wife's whole body shakes when she's really getting into it. And you can't hear it, and her nose flare up with it. It's the cutest thing. I just love her laugh. And God just doesn't give us one laugh. He gives us like five or six different laughs in our arsenal, depending on what's coming at us. We've got the fake polite laugh, not to hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> We've got the, that's kind of funny laugh. We've got the, wow, that's funny laugh. We've got the, I don't care what they think of my laugh. I can't help it, it's coming out laugh. We've got the, it's so funny, tears are coming laugh. And then the ultimate, I can't breathe, God make it stop. A six pack is literally birthing right now laugh. Every laugh 
Every snort, every shake, every tear-producing, oxygen-sucking happy moment should remind us of the creator and maker of it. Charles Spurgeon, the well-known preacher and author from a long time ago, said this, Those who are beloved of the Lord must be the most happy and joyful people to be found anywhere upon the face of the earth. That should be true. How can that not be true? Maybe our happy is missing something. Some of us have maybe the wrong picture of God and it's killing what God wants to do in us. Do you know what he's done? And not just what he's done, but what he's done for you. And not just what he's done, but he's, what he's doing for you. And not just what he's doing, but what he wants to do for you. For some of us, this is a brand new idea. Because maybe this is the reason that you walked away from church. You walked away from God because you just got the feeling, I'm either going to be a good Christian or I'm going to be happy. And it seemed like all the happy people weren't the church people. But what we're discovering is that that is a false dichotomy. That if God created you with a capacity for joy, and if God created you with a capacity for happiness, then why would God create such extraordinary capacity and not want you to fulfill it through him? God isn't against happiness. He is the way to happiness. And God is not out to get us. He's out to bring us home. And the Bible says that he approves of us. He's dancing, he's singing, he's rejoicing over us. For the long time, the church, with good intentions, has tried to introduce people by scaring the hell out of them. By using Jesus as an insurance policy, which includes a direct deposit into heaven upon death benefit. But this is an ill-planned method that had unintended consequences. It left many of us afraid, spiritually stiff, unfulfilled, and empty. But what suffered most is what most, was most important to Jesus, our relationship with him. Growing up, my grandparents lived super close to us. If you looked out of our back porch, you could see their house, and only our backyard and a small field separated us. I would walk there often, but sadly, the motivation wasn't to see them. It was to eat their food. No surprise for me, right? I would go and visit them for a little, and as my duty to earn briars, vanilla, and chocolate ice cream and Pringles chips, I would converse with them as a cover-up to be polite, but all that I was really waiting for was the beautiful sentence to spring forth from my grandmother's lips. Do you want to grab a snack, honey? And I would act like I wasn't totally sure, give a little shrug. Nah, I don't know, Grandma, I guess. And then after eating my snack... I would visit with them for a few more minutes so it wouldn't seem like I was just going there to eat their food. It haunts me to this day. Some of us are treating Jesus this way. We're going for the wrong things, and we're missing the best things. We're coming to God to stay out of hell when heaven was just meant to be the cherry on top. God wants to give us so much more than heaven. He wants to give us himself so that we can see all the many wonderful sides of him. Some of us need to hear this this morning. God is good, and he's crazy about you. And if you would get how much he is for you, it would change you, and it would change how you live and what you live for. But we've heard and thought differently, haven't we? We've misinterpreted so much in this life, haven't we? We often think we know what's best, don't we? And sometimes we just want to get our own way and do our own thing. We just want to keep going back to scoop out all we can until next time. And we keep leaving thinking we got what we came for, not realizing that we left what we really needed 
back there. My grandparents are both gone now, and though I did my best to repair and make up for what I missed, it's still a regret I carry to this day. It's a regret that I'm trying not to repeat with my maker and those that I love, because I don't want to leave this earth with my belly full and my soul and heart devoid of knowing the one who created me, of loving the ones he gave me. Even then, as a 10-year-old kid, I knew that what I was doing was sick. I was choosing ice cream over my grandparents, and I hated myself for it. But I kept going back time and time again, bowl and bowl and bowl after bowl. And that's what sin does. It's what sin has always done. It separates us. It distracts us. It pulls our attention away from what's best, and it keeps us going back for more of the wrong things. Sin causes temporary amnesia, causing us to forget the soul sickness we felt the last time we dug in. This world and our sin has been rewiring us from our original creator settings since birth. And if we don't keep making some tweaks and adjustments, our picture of God will keep declining. And with it, the quality and happiness of our lives. Can I tweak you this morning? Got to be careful how I say that. I know this is a series on happiness, but can I give you a hard and awkward truth? It's found in 1 John 5.19. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The Bible is crystal clear regarding who rules who in this world. Those who give back the life God gave them to begin with to live for him gets Jesus as Lord. Those who don't get Satan. And I know what you're thinking. That's a too jagged of a pill to swallow. And I get it. And I also get that you're not going around call, calling the devil your daddy, nor do you want to. But what if it was still true? You might not know what you believe about God the Bible and all that, but what if it's true? What if the same serpent that persuaded Adam and Eve is still swaying you? What if he really has intoxicated much of the world? What if the majority have made a deal with the devil and don't even know it? But what if it's also true that Jesus came and took care of the one thing that keeps causing you to go backwards, to keep doing what you don't want to do? What if it's true that Jesus came and took care of the one thing that keeps you from forgiving the ones you want to, from making things right when you ought to? What if he took care of the one thing that makes you hate you? What if he took care of the one thing that causes you to hurt those you love, that keeps you from loving the ones you're supposed to? You call it whatever you want, but God calls it sin. But whatever you call it, you know that it's killing things in your life. It's bringing death wherever it rears its ugly head. You've been feeling the nauseating effects of it. You've been dealing with the consequences of it. It's what the Bible said would happen. Romans 5.12 says that when Adam sinned, death followed. Death is always on the heels of sin. Wherever there is sin, death is close behind. Did you ever see the peaceful image of an adorable bird perched on the back of hippos, zebra? and other large African animals. It's a cool sight, something you rarely see in the animal kingdom. 
From a distance, without further examination, it seems all good for both parties involved. The bird gets a free ride and street cred, and the big game gets company. Well, that adorable bird is called an oxpecker, and for years, researchers and zoologists thought it was a match made in heaven. They knew that the oxpecker eats the pesky ticks, flies, and other bugs that are on their bigger friends, as well as, check this out, hissing loudly when they sense danger, giving their four-legged taxi a heads up. But what they discovered later is that the oxpecker washes those bugs down with the healthy helping of their free ride's blood. Not only that, but they create wounds and consistently pick at the existing ones. Do a quick YouTube search on oxpeckers and you'll find videos of these birds digging into hippo flesh, fighting over buffalo blood, and straddling the head of an antelope just to get to a face wound. Sin is our oxpecker. At first, all seems well. A friendly companion who seems to be making life better, more enjoyable, safer. But all the while, unfelt wounds are being created. And with each stride, with each mile walked, more of us gets lost. With each seemingly positive benefit comes incredible loss. Coexisting with sin will slowly drain us of life. Sin methodically pecks away the good in our lives. It kills our relationships. It kills our careers. It kills God's plan A's, and it kills us. But what if Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection took away sin's final say of our lives? What if it wipes your bad past, present, and future slate clean? And what if Jesus really is the answer to what you need most? What if he really does want to take his righteousness and trade it for your sin? For your one things? And what if God? And what if giving God your one things and having your slate wiped clean didn't end up being the best thing? What if the better thing was what he put in your one thing's place? And what if you discovered that God does this with everything you give him? That he doesn't just take your bad, but he replaces it with something incredibly good. What if, those, what if one of those incredibly goods is the one thing that you've been trying to find for a long, long time? It's a void that you've been desperately and achingly trying to fill since as far back as you can remember. That incredibly good is a piece, and it has the perfect dimensions to fit into the pains and wounds that sin has been creating in your life. What if God wants to replace your ride-your-back companion of sin with a lead-you-to-healing and happiness peace? What if God plants peace in us when we bury our sin in him? What if what we're really looking for and longing for and searching for, whether we realize it or not, whether we're a follower of Jesus or not, is peace and not happiness? You see, our soul and our mind are craving God's peace. But we keep trying to cram inferior knockoffs to try and satisfy it, but they aren't working, are they? True and lasting happiness comes from the perfectly trademarked peace that only God has the rights to. What makes us happy, what makes you happy, it's peace with God. Did you ever have a friend in a group or circle, either growing up or even maybe now, who seemed to have it all? Like 
they were good-looking, uh, they have a great sense of humor, they're smart, they're witty, they're compassionate, they're generous, they're unselfish. You simultaneously hated these people and wanted to be these people, didn't you? You were drawn in like everybody else, but you kept your distance a little bit more than everybody else. I think God's a little like this friend to some of us. He's the whole package. And we just don't know how to approach and interact with him. God's the whole package, and we just don't know how to interact with him because we know us, and we're not as cool. We know us, and we're not as compassionate. And we know us, and we're not as unselfish. And so we keep our distance because, well, God, he's, he's holy. He's perfect. And we just wouldn't click. I'm just not good enough. I just wouldn't fit in. And we do this more than we know in so many ways with so many things. It's sin. It's our pride. And our excuses are insecurities. And our defenses are built on fear. And we need someone whole and put together to fill the holes in us. Jesus is inviting us in and he calls us his friend. And just so that we could know that we know that we know that we could trust him, he came to show us just how much we mean to him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus. It's a scene we see over and over again with Jesus and the not good enoughs. You see, Jesus didn't come for those who think they're good enough. He came for those who knew they weren't good enough without him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to eat with him and he with me. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. The gospel is the startling news that what God demands from us, he provides for us. How? In his own son. The gospel is the message that Jesus Christ delights to switch places with guilty rebels. The one person who walked this earth, who deserved heaven, endured the wrath of hell so that those who deserve the wrath of hell can have heaven. Philippians 2.13, I love this scripture. It takes away every excuse you would ever have about following Jesus. For God is working in you, giving you the power and the ability to do what pleases him. So even doing what he commands comes from receiving what he hands down. Jesus says we're friends. Jesus is Lord, but he also came to show us that he's our closest ally. And God from Genesis to Jesus has been telling us how we're to see him, how we're to view him. Jesus goes off at the start of his ministry and describing who his father is and how he wants to be our father too. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask. Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them? Are you not much more valuable than they? If you then, though you are evil, 
Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And God's saying, look at your goodness. Look at your father's skills. Look at your love one another proficiency with all that's lacking, with all that's coming up short. Look at all the bad that gets mixed in with even your best efforts. He's saying, you aren't anywhere close to being perfectly loving or patient or caring or kind or giving if even you know how. Think of what I can do, how I can father you. When you see me or think of me, don't think old mean man in the sky, always looking at my mistakes. Think perfect, heavenly, loving father. Having the right picture of God makes all things right, even when all things may seem wrong. There is so much that comes with actually coming to be with Jesus and following Jesus and turning to Jesus. And I think many of us are long overdue for a visit, a real visit with the real Jesus. There's something that he has for us. Something that all truly happy people have. That's peace. But you can't have peace with God. And you won't receive the peace of God without knowing the God who's giving it. Jesus made it clear that peace with God paves the way to peace with ourselves and equips us to make peace with others. That they are connected to our relationship with Him, that they cannot be separated. If you are not at peace with yourself, chances are it's because you have something in your past that you keep dragging around. You can't seem to get away from it. You turn around and it just seems tied to you everywhere you go. And because you can't make peace with your past, you do not have peace with you. But when you make peace with God, God paves the way and God creates the way forward for you to find peace with yourself. When you come to realize that God who created you has forgiven you, that he no longer holds your past against you, you realize that you lose the right to not forgive yourself. You find the freedom to let go. And when you get this, forgiving others becomes easier as well because peace with God equips us to make peace with others. The driving behavioral ethic in the New Testament is do unto others as your heavenly Father through Christ has done for you. That as Christians, we are required to forgive because we've been forgiven. That it's our obligation to figure out how to treat people the way our heavenly Father treated us. You see, peace with God Peace with God paves the way to peace with ourselves. Because when you begin to view yourself in a right relationship with your creator, when the creator-creation relationship gets in sync, something happens on the inside of us. When what he said becomes what you believe, when what he did becomes your reality, we are not easily swayed or enticed or worried or angered or bitter or jealous because we have peace. We are at peace. True happiness can only grow out of the seedling of peace. And without Christ, we don't have a pot or plot to plant it in. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And Jesus is telling you, don't fall for the imposters. Don't 
buy what they're selling. It won't last. It won't work. Walmart doesn't stock it. Amazon doesn't sell it. Starbucks can't roast it. Forever 21 doesn't have that size, that cut. They don't have what you're really looking for. He can't provide it. She doesn't possess it. That won't do it. This can't bring it. That won't heal. That won't fix. That won't fulfill. The question isn't, will God's peace be there? The question is, will we receive it? Will we look for it? Will we choose to trust what God is saying, what he's already said? Will that be enough? Will we trust? Will we turn to him, look to him, need him, depend on him? If we do that, peace will come. That your perfect heavenly father and your closest ally will be right there to get you through, to give you what you need. Will we give him our sin, our way for his replacements? Have you made peace with God? Peace with God starts with faith in Christ. Have you made peace with God? That's where it starts. Are you at peace with God? Peace with God is sustained in our obedience to Christ. It's choosing to allow God's peace to pave your way your choices, your actions, because anything that undermines your peace will ultimately undermine your happiness. What could possibly be worth trading off your peace with God for? Which will ultimately impact your peace with you, which will ultimately and is impacting your peace with others. Why would we? Why would we refuse God's offer of peace? Think about that. What is worth refusing God's offer of peace? Who is so important? They might not even be in your life in a year or two years or five years. What is worth losing your peace with God over? How can we refuse God's offer of peace? So have you made peace with God? Are you at peace with God? Peace with God starts with faith in Christ. Peace with God is sustained through our obedience to Christ. If you've never made that decision, and you're here today and you're like, maybe, wow, this is the first time maybe that I have heard this picture, seen this picture of who our Heavenly Father really is. Because you can't have peace without putting your faith in God first. There's no alternative. There's no better option. I've spent a long time in my life looking and searching and seeking for a different version and I could never find it. And I didn't stumble upon God. God found me. He pursued me like he's pursuing every single one of us who have not accepted him, who have not bought into this truth. But you can't have peace without faith in Christ. Are you at peace with God? And in a few minutes as Calvin's playing, I just want to give you an opportunity to do business with God. And I've been in a church in a long time, and I've pastored a long time, and, and, and it's okay, it's not bad, but sometimes we, we kind of hold people's hand in, in that conversation and prayer with Christ, but you don't need that. There is no special prayer, there's nothing wrong with saying, there's no special prayer to receive Jesus. It's a conversation. God has been knocking on your door, and you know it. All you got to do is let him in and have a conversation and spend time with the real Jesus. Is a visit you won't regret. And maybe you're here today and you would say, you know, 
I've made peace with God, but I don't have peace with God right now. I've given my life 20 times, 30 times because I just don't have peace with God. And I want to encourage you this morning to do business with God as well. To allow peace to pave your way. So maybe you're here this morning and you've given your life to Christ, but you have not allowed peace to pave your way. You stop waking up every day and asking God, God, what is it that you want me to do today? And I don't care what it is. It's going to hurt. It might hurt. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can, I don't know what they're going to think or what she's going to think. Maybe you've stopped conversing with God. Maybe your relationship was a one-time visit and you haven't continued and you haven't allowed peace to pave your way with yourself and with others. And I want to give you a minute to do business with God and just say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the ways that I missed it. I'm sorry for making it about a one-time conversation. I want to follow you because peace with God is sustained through continual obedience to Christ. There's nothing better than allowing your relationship with God to pave your way. There's nothing better. And you don't have peace because it's not been true for you. So bow your heads, close your eyes, and I just want to give you a minute, anybody who would like to, I just want to invite you to do business with God. Either you're just having a conversation for the first time to ask God to come in, that you're sorry, that you want forgiveness, that you want to follow him and live the way he's calling you to live, or maybe you're here and you just don't have peace with God as a follower of Christ because you're not allowing his peace to pave your way. God, we thank you that you want to you come and be with us. God, that not one single person who was alive and breathing would ever stumble upon you by accident. We thank you that you pursue us, that you come after us, and that you won't stop knocking until we answer your door to come in. God, I pray that the conversations that many of us started today would not cease. That those who maybe for the first time put their faith and trust in you, they would experience the peace that only you can give. And God, the, the first conversation isn't the only step. It's the first step. But it's a journey of continually seeking after you. And your, your word says that, God, we were justified by faith. That it's not a changing behavior thing coming to you. You're not looking for us to be perfect before we get in your group to be your friend. Your word says that you justified us by faith and when we do that, peace comes. That you exchange our sin and our ugliness for your righteousness, right standing with you. God, we thank you for that. That we don't have to change every behavior, but God, as we invite you in, you begin to help us. It's a process of changing us to live the better life. So God, we thank you 
for that step that many of us have made today. And that it's the beginning of a journey of following you and discovering your better replacements. And God, for those of us who are just tired of being followers of you but not living in peace, God, we thank you for the conversations that happened today that will help us to start waking up looking for you. Seeking you. Spending time with you and receiving that peace that comes with you and allowing that to pave our way with ourselves and with others. We thank you, God, for how much you love us, for how good you really are. Thank you for helping us and convincing us of, of, of that today a little bit more. In Jesus' name, amen.